Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good morning, Maranatha. So good to see each one of you. Welcome in Jesus' name. And this morning, uh, as we, we, we turn our attention to one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, uh, not minor in terms of age, and not minor in terms of his tone, that's a minor key, and not minor in terms of importance. There are no unimportant books of Scripture, and, and Zephaniah's ministry was of vast importance, as we will discover. Uh, but Zephaniah is a minor prophet in terms of size. He only left us three chapters, only 53 verses written down for us to ponder. However, as we'll discover this morning, they were of immense importance to the people of Judah that uh, Zephaniah prophesied to, an immense importance for us today as well. Uh, if you haven't already, find the book of Zephaniah in your Bibles. It's kind of in that ambiguous section between Isaiah and Matthew. <laughs> and sometimes uh, the easiest way to do it is just to find Matthew and flip back a few pages and you're, you're in the minor prophets there. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, but I want to read the first three verses together of Zephaniah. Uh, would you stand this morning as you're able for the reading of God's word? Zephaniah chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gildiah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep everything away from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Heavenly Father, these are your words, the words that you spoke to Zephaniah a long time ago and directed him to speak to your people. Lord, and the message uh, was unwelcome at the time. It still is. These minor prophets are, are hard for us to wrap our heads around sometimes. But even though the message was unwelcomed by uh, the people of Judah, Lord, may it be welcomed in our hearts. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit here. Lead us and guide us according to your word. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get too far into some of the text of Zephaniah, it's probably best to study a little bit the, the backdrop, the background to Zephaniah, both the man and the book. And even if you don't like history, uh, knowing the background of these books, these minor prophets, these characters is so vitally important. And I want to set the stage well 
It says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. And not much is known about Zephaniah. He doesn't tell us a ton of information about himself, his, his occupation before the Lord called him as a prophet. He doesn't tell us his hometown or anything like that. But he does tell us one interesting fact uh, about himself. He traces his family tree back for four generations, all the way back to a guy by the name of Hezekiah. And Zephaniah would not list his family tree that far back unless it was important. And so most scholars believe that the Hezekiah that was in Zephaniah's lineage was the same Hezekiah who was king of Judah some 75 to 100 years beforehand. Zephaniah was of royal blood. He was the great-great-grandson of the king. And Hezekiah was one of Judah's good kings. They had a bunch of bad ones, but Hezekiah was one of the good ones. Hezekiah worshipped the Lord and he wanted his people to do the same. Hezekiah cleansed the temple and restored right worship of the Lord God. Uh, Hezekiah celebrated the Passover with his people, something that hadn't been done in a, in a couple hundred years. And Hezekiah trusted the Lord above all else when everything looked utterly hopeless against the Assyrians. Hezekiah was one of the good guys. And, and Zephaniah tells us that the word of the Lord came to him in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah. And again, knowing the history, knowing the backdrop is vital for these verses uh, that we've studied and will continue to study. In, uh, in Zephaniah's day, the Assyrian Empire had been the dominant world power for the last 300 years. Their empire stretched from, from Egypt in the south all the way to Turkey, from the Mediterranean Sea uh, to modern Iraq and Iran. Assyria had invaded and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel uh, in 722 during good King Hezekiah's day and also threatened to destroy Jerusalem. Uh, but the Lord miraculously saved that city. We studied that in our confirmation class this last week. A really neat story of how Hezekiah prayed and the, and the Lord answered, delivering him from the 185,000 Assyrian troops. But by the, the days of Josiah, when we approach Zephaniah here, the Assyrian Empire was collapsing in on herself. She was no longer able to control any of the kingdoms, uh, her vassal kingdoms, and all over the place, governors and kings were, were rebelling, overthrowing the government, not bowing to Assyrian control. Small areas like Babylon were, were beginning to rise in prominence uh, by attacking Assyrian outposts and garrisons. If Zephaniah had CNN or Fox News, he would have seen and heard of nothing but terror attacks and villages being raided. He would have watched constant coverage of, of a bloated dictatorship losing its grip. He would have seen the brutality of wars waged between the Assyrian and the Babylonian armies. He would have seen immigrants fleeing from one war-torn region to another, trying to find some place where they would have peace and stability. He would have heard reports of genocide, uh, genocide that was encouraged and supported as the Babylonians sought to wipe out the Assyrians. It was total chaos and upheaval. For Zephaniah, the world as he knew it, was ending. And into that world came King Josiah. 
He became king of Judah in the year 640 B.C. after his father was assassinated by his own servants. Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. Where are my eight-year-olds at? How many of you are eight-year-olds? My daughter's not here today. We're homesick, but I know we've got a couple of eight-year-olds. You ready to be king? You might be, right? But the grown-ups in this room are not ready to have an eight-year-old king, right? Just think of the, the turmoil that Judah was in. The Assyrian Empire is collapsing. Babylon is rising. Your king has been assassinated by his servants. And, and after some power struggles, the eight-year-old heir to the throne is crowned as king. <laughs> Thankfully, Josiah proved to be a, a good king for Judah. As he grew he began numerous political and spiritual reforms within his kingdom. He, he removed idols from the temple. He destroyed pagan shrines throughout Judah. He, he had the temple, Solomon's temple, repaired. And as the workmen were, who were going about their task of repairing the temple, uh, they find the book of the law, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the New, Old Testament that had apparently been lost and neglected and they found it sitting in a storage box. <laughs> and so they open it up and they read it and all of the people um, have it read to them and they, they vow to follow the Lord. Things were, were finally looking up for Judah. We've got the right guy on the throne. We've got our hearts uh, turned to the Lord again. We're on the right track. But then the word of the Lord comes to Zephaniah and crushes any hope that Judah had. Zephaniah comes not with a feel-good, positive vibe message about love and, and how everything's going to be all right. Zephaniah's message was about the Lord's judgment on and condemnation of Judah. This is about the Lord's judgment on and the condemnation of Judah. Look at verses 2 through 6 with me. Some of these I've read before, but uh, we'll go on from there. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, and the name of that idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned their backs from following the Lord. Who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Zephaniah says that the Lord's judgment on his people, on Judah, would be thorough thoroughly thorough. It would be total and complete, leaving no room for doubt in anyone's mind. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And this wasn't exactly a divine hyperbole. The Lord is not exaggerating. We'll tell you why more in just a bit. But, but for Judah, any hope of restoration, any, any hope uh, that their nation would survive this global upheaval that they are going to go through, any hope they had was wiped away. Judah was going to experience judgment and condemnation. You can begin to see why Zephaniah's message was an unwelcomed message, can't you? And regarding the Lord's judgment, it's, it's important to notice that there are multiple layers to this promise of judgment. 
The first layer, again, was that local selective judgment on the people of Judah for their sins. But the second layer looks ahead, even further into the future, a future that is still future for us. Zephaniah gets a glimpse of of the total destruction that will come on the last day when Jesus Christ comes back, sets up his forever kingdom. In the book of Revelation, John gets a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. On that day, the prophecies of Zephaniah will be fulfilled. They will find their ultimate fulfillment. The Lord will utterly sweep everything away before making all things new. Zephaniah also says that the Lord's judgment on Judah is a result of her sins. In verses 4 through 6, we we read a description of some of those sins that the people of Judah were engaged in. One of the major sins was that the Judeans were mixing the worship of the Lord God with the worship of other gods. In Zephaniah's day, Baal and Ashtoreth were were two pagan deities along with the host of heavens, he says, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They were worshipped inside the temple of the Lord. Could you imagine uh, walking into church next week and next to the cross there is a crescent moon? And instead of the pews filling up this entire space, we took out this half of the pews and we uh, put uh, prayer rugs down facing Mecca. What if we installed a statue of the Buddha and where the altar was, was set up there? What if we had little shrines around the sanctuary so you could light candles and pray to your ancestors? What if Pastor Lloyd and I told you that we've uh, severed Maranatha's connection with the AFLC and we joined the Unitarian Universalist Association where themes of Christianity are, are, are blended with streams of Buddhist, Hindu thought, Muslim, humanist, uh, atheist, er, atheistic, earth-centered thought as well uh, where they say life is the only sacrament. Hmm. What would you do? <laughs> I'd... Yeah, I I hope you'd either do that or run us out with uh, tar and pitchforks and feathers the whole nine yards, right? (laughs) But that was the situation that Judah was in in the days of Zephaniah and King Josiah. Thankfully, the good king listened to Zephaniah's words of, of judgment, of warning from the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 23 uh, describes Judah's reforms in, in deep detail. And verse 4 of, of that chapter, 2 Kings 23, summarizes it this way. King Josiah commanded the high priest to bring out from the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal and for Asherah and for the host of heaven. He burned them outside of the city in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Right, sounds good, right? Josiah is restoring the right worship of the Lord, restoring respect for the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Unfortunately, Josiah's reforms were short-lived. When he was killed in battle, the kings that followed him um, returned Judah to their pagan ways, their sinful actions. And the author of Chronicles makes sure to remind us that the reason for Jerusalem being conquered and God's people being sent into exile was because of their sins. It says this in 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by the prophets because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. 
until the wrath of God rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Judah deserved the judgment and the condemnation she got for her sins. But the reality is that you deserve judgment and condemnations for your sins as well. Uh, The wages of your sin, the Apostle Paul says, is death. Not just physical death, that's a part of it, but, but eternal death, separation from the Lord and judgment and condemnation. Every lustful thought, every angry reaction, every lie every utter, ever uttered, you are responsible for the things that you have done and the things that you have left undone. Your account is way overdrawn. There's nothing you can do to pay back your debt. You can only contribute more sin, more condemnation, more judgment. You sinned as we prayed in the prayer earlier in thought, word, and deed against the Lord. And if it's true on on an individual level, it's true on a a national level as well. There are sins that we as as a state, as a nation, have participated in. And while we've made some progress on a national level for the pro-life cause with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, here in Minnesota, we're going backwards on that issue. About a year ago at this time, Governor Walls signed into law a bill uh, that guarantees that the local and state governments have no right to restrict abortion, abortion without limits, on demand. Since Roe, numerous statistics have shown that abortion has actually increased in the United States. In Washington, D.C., it's estimated that nearly 50% of pregnancies end with an abortion. In New York and New Jersey, almost one out of three, or I'm sorry, yeah, one out of three children are killed in the womb. In a similar vein, as a church, we've not done enough to support the widows and the orphans uh, in our midst, relying instead on the government and on social welfare to take care of them. As a nation, we're forgetting the We're guilty of forgetting the basic distinction between men and women. Many churches have stayed silent as homosexuality was legalized and now celebrated. Pornography is still at an all-time high, even though one senator seeks to ban it. Critical theory with its implicit racism has found inroads into everyday life, including chemistry and the airline industry. And it's easy for us to look back through the lens of history and condemn Israel, to condemn Judah for her sins, for her unfaithfulness, especially as they were the people of God. However, as a nation, we have our own sins to repent of, don't we? Going back to the the text of Zephaniah, while, while Josiah had made some progress, the Lord's judgment still came. Um... Let's look at a handful of verses here. I'd love to read verses 7 through 18. I'll let you do that all on your own. But we'll start with verses 7 through 9 and maybe 14 through 17. Zephaniah says this, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was Judah. And the Lord has consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons, all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. That's probably a reference to um, pagan priests who won't step on the threshold uh, because of superstitious reasons. And I will punish those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. And then jump ahead to verse 14 there. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. 
The sound of that day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against fortified cities and against all the lofty battlements. I will also bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Zephaniah says that the day of the Lord, which is any time the Lord acts, the day of the Lord was near. The day of the Lord's judgment was fast approaching. The the reforms that Josiah had done were were too little, too late as far as the judgment of God was concerned. Uh, To borrow a line from John the baptizer, the axe was already laid to the root of the tree. Things were set in motion for judgment and condemnation on Judah that would not be turned. It was just a handful of years after Josiah's death that Babylon would capture Jerusalem and make Judah a vassal kingdom, a subservient kingdom to the Babylonian empire. And about 20 years after that, Babylon would completely destroy Jerusalem and would send the people of Judah into exile. The Lord's judgment on Judah came in the form of Babylon. And so a few applications for today This is kind of where the the rubber meets the road and and the message of Zephaniah continues to speak today. But uh, (laughs) before we get too far into that, uh, permit me to uh, quote from one of the greatest prophets of our day, um, Billy Joel. (laughs) Note some some sarcasm there, please. In 1989, Billy Joel released his hit song, We Didn't Start the Fire, right? You know the song, right? It's a song that lists in chronological order, I think, 118 major world events and people from 1948, the year that Billy Joel was born, to the current year, 1989. Among other things, uh, he lists Red China, Richard Nixon, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe, Rosenberg's H-bomb, Eisenhower, vaccine, England's got a new queen, Joseph Stalin, communist bloc, birth control, Ho Chi Minh, Richard Nixon, back again, Moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate and punk rock, Reagan, Palestine, terror on the airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan, (laughs) and on and on and on he goes, right? The chorus that you're probably familiar with, even if you forgot or never knew what was actually in the verses, the chorus goes like this. We didn't start the fire, right? It's always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. But the, the, the point that Billy Joel is making is that the world is crazy. <laughs> the world has always been crazy. It was crazy in his day and it was crazy from the very beginning. Uh, this past summer, the, the band Fallout Boy released their version of this song and it brings kind of up to date uh, some of the things that, that happened from 1989 to 2023. Things like Arab Spring, L.A. Riots, Rodney King, Deep Faith, Deep Deep fakes and earthquakes, Oklahoma City bomb, Kurt Cobain, nuclear accident, Fukushima, Japan, Crimean Peninsula, Cambridge Analytica, Kim Jong-un, <laughs> things like that all make the list along with school shootings, COVID, Y2K, 9-11, and uh, even the Ever Given. 
Do you remember that ship that blocked the Suez Canal, what, a year, year and a half ago? Remember that? Stopped trading for a week or something like that. Uh, but since the summer that the Fall Out Boy released that song, there have been a lot of major events, like the October 7th attacks of, of Hamas on Israel and all the fallout from that, that that might have major sweeping implications for our own future. Friday night and Saturday morning, we saw the United States' response to the drone attacks on U.S. soldiers at Tower 22. It was reported that we responded by hitting 85 Iranian targets within Iraq and Syria within 30 minutes. The message sent by the U.S., however delayed it might have been, was clear. Don't mess with us, right? Yet a world of of political analysts begin to postulate that this could be the beginning of the end. The attack on Tower 22 and the retaliation have, as one headline put it, uh, brought us to the brink of the abyss. And some are worried that we are witnessing the beginning of a third world war, right? A world war with nuclear implications and components. Now, I've got faith in our military and the men and women who serve there, and I'm confident we'd come out on top. But it got me thinking, what if? What if? What if this is truly the beginning of the end? What if we are staring down the brink of the abyss? What if 2024 witnesses mass nuclear war? What if? Zephaniah reminds us that everything, nations included, come to an end. As you read through Zephaniah, you'll discover that Judah was not alone in judgment. Chapter 2 of Zephaniah reveals the Lord's judgment on other nations as well. Philistines, the Moabites, the Cushites, even the mighty Assyrian Empire would fall and face the Lord's judgment. And just as the Lord used a wicked pagan nation, the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, to execute his judgment on Judah, it might be that the Lord executes his judgment on the United States through a wicked pagan foreign nation. And I'm not a prophet or I'm not claiming to have had a divine revelation this week. I'm just speculating. And like you, I'm, I'm praying for a better outcome. But how do we as Christians respond? Should the unthinkable happen or should life as we go on or life as we know it goes on? It helps to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what Zephaniah chapter 3 is all about. There are three beautiful, wonderful reminders in Zephaniah chapter 3. And the first is this. Remember that the church is universal. This isn't universalism in in the way that all roads lead to heaven. Don't don't hear me wrong on that. But the church is universal in that she expands beyond any national borders or political party. The United States does not have a monopoly on Christendom. The church is bigger than us. And if you're still in your Bibles, and I really hope you are, uh, look ahead to chapter 3 with me. Uh, There's some good news, some gospel implications here uh, given to Judah, given to you. First verses 9 and 10. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. The Lord was reminding Zephaniah and, and Judah that he was working to bring all peoples, pagan nations included, into his kingdom. His desire is that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. When Jesus came, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. 
All people are welcome into the church. Should the United States fail, the church will go on. In many nations of Africa, once a hotbed of tribalism, the gospel is growing and flourishing. The underground house church movement in China is thriving despite constant attacks from the government. And among secular thinkers, there is, as a UK um, commentator Justin Brierley coined it, a surprising rebirth of the belief in God as many former atheists in the West are coming to Christianity. The church is growing and growing across the world. And because of that, we can rejoice. Our, our ultimate citizenship isn't here on earth. It is in heaven. There's a second reminder that Zephaniah gives, and that's no matter what, God will always leave a remnant of his faithful people. Look at verses 11 and 12. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove them from your midst and your proud exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Bless you. There's a beautiful promise of forgiveness there, isn't there? On that day you will not be put to shame because of the deeds that you have done by which you rebelled against me. There is grace. There is mercy. There is forgiveness coming and it will be found in Jesus Christ. But along with that, Zephaniah says that the Lord will always leave a remnant of his faithful people. If you feel like you're the only one in your workplace or in your classroom or, or in your community that is a Christian, the Lord wants you to know that you are not alone. He leaves his people in places where they can continually be lights and witnesses, even in the darkest of times and in the darkest of places. And finally, Zephaniah reminds us one final thing, that it's in Jesus Christ that our salvation is secure. He doesn't quite say it like that, but there's gospel implications at the end here. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17 Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never fear again. For on that day it shall be said in Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands not grow weak. For the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. We'll pause there. There are a lot of wonderful promises, beautiful promises in those verses. A couple stood out to me. One of them found in verse 15, the Lord has taken your judgments away. Your bank account with a negative balance so deep in debt that you could never begin to repay, it has been forgiven. And not because the Lord God is a forgetful God or likes to sweep things under the rug. It's been forgiven because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became flesh and took the full weight of God's judgment and condemnation against sin upon himself. Jesus died in your place and on your behalf to bring you to God so that your sins can be wiped clean. Zephaniah looked forward to that day and rejoiced. And we look back on the cross and we know that in Jesus our salvation is secure. No matter what happens, we've no cause for worry or for fear. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
I'll close with this. The most beautiful, I think, maybe the most prophetic promise or poetic promise is found in verse 17. He will quiet you by his love. There's a lot of noise, isn't there? Outside, inside, there's a lot of anxiety between the world's politics and the pressures of the here and now. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel anxious about everything. But take these words of Zephaniah to heart. The Lord is in your midst. Let him quiet you this morning with his love, his love that is never ending, never breaking, always and forever. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you for the words that you uh, spoke to Zephaniah uh, so many years ago. Lord, and thank you that they still ring true today. Um, We know that there is coming a day of judgment where you will utterly wipe away everything from the face of the earth. Uh, We thank you for sending your son Jesus to take the wrath of God, your wrath, on himself so that we might have life eternal. Thank you for your love, Lord, and in the midst of this week and the things that occur, may you quiet us with your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.